En el nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. Amén. ¿Dónde está tu muñeca, princesa? Ayer creo que vimos a una niña perdida en un camino a las afueras. Luego encontramos esto, pero es una muñeca de comunión. Y hace años que se cuenta esa historia. Una niña vestida de comunión que se aparece por estas fechas. Que si te cruzas con ella, estás maldito. everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. How's it going, Venom? Bienvenidos, damas y dame. Wait, what the fuck? I fucked it all up already. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, folks. Uh, I, I, my Spanish is usually spot on, but I don't know. I, I had a hiccup there. I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> uh, I think Still it's best. just the weather. I think I it's just the on the whip. Still just better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> The weather out here, for those who don't know, I'm in the middle of a hurricane right now, so if I'm if I'm mid-sentence and I cut out, it probably means we lost power. But um, the other thing is, not only are we in the middle of a, of a hurricane, we just had an earthquake about 20 minutes ago. Um, I haven't looked online to see what it registered on the Richter scale, but it was a pretty good and long earthquake. I mean... Earthquakes are usually, I don't know, like five to ten seconds out here in Southern California. This one was a good 30 seconds. And, yeah, my wife was actually in the shower during the earthquake, and she's, like, screaming at me from outside. What's going on? And um, I was worried and for a second you were about to turn this into something next rated. <laughs> no, 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 not quite. <laughs> I can make the move. I can make the Earth move for my wife whenever I want, but that's a different. Story. There we go. <laughs> so Do anyway, you know where the, epi yeah, the mean, epicenter, the epicenter of the earthquake was? I'm not sure because my friends in downtown LA haven't, uh, didn't like a, a bunch of them said they haven't felt it. I, I'm in the valley. I'm in the San Fernando Valley, about 10 minutes outside of LA, and I felt it really, really hard. So. Um, after after I get off of here, obviously I'll go check out the weather service and see what the Richter scale rating was. But yeah, goddamn hurricanes, earthquakes, murder hornets—it's uh, the apocalypse, my friends. Repent I, now. I was kind of curious how the hurricane was going to affect you guys because I I was looking at the the reports of the trajectory, and it's weird because it's. It's going to kind of cross over your guys' region, but the more inland, inland it goes, it's kind of going east. So it's saying, like, by the end of it, it could make its way all the way as north as Reno, Nevada, which technically is more north than I am. But the thing is, the the more north it goes, it keeps going inland. So it's, like, projected to, like, my entire region. Like, it's not going straight up California. It's kind of going, like, diagonal upwards. So... From what I'm hearing right now, it, like it won't even hit me because I'm way up, you know, I'm way up northern California compared to you guys. So I'm, I'm still keeping my eye on it because I was like, wow, I didn't think it would last all the way up the coast, just inland. But we'll we'll see. But uh, 
Yeah, also, Dawn, what's yeah. up? How, how are you? <laughs> yeah, just trying to uh, stay dry and uh, trying to prevent anything from uh, falling on me. Um, I I didn't feel it very heavily, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I did feel it. Um, just, like, a few little bits of, like, you know, the ground kind of, like, rumbling and it, a little bit louder than, like, the usual, you know, truck driving down the street. So that's kind of how you knew, but... It, yeah, uh, like I said, just trying to uh, stay dry because I'm unfortunately on the side of the street where it drains because I'm on the lower side. So, yeah, um, my my house uh, floods pretty easily. So, <laughs> yeah, um, just trying to, uh, you know, stay out of it because I'm in the middle of it, too. And, uh, yeah, I, I did feel the earthquake. It wasn't very long. It wasn't very hard. But, uh, yeah, it was just one of those where you feel something just a little bit heavier than the normal truck driving down the street. It lasts just a little bit longer. So it kind of clues you in that something's happening. But uh, yeah, other than that, uh, yeah, I'm not doing too good. Just, uh, you know, trying to let mother nature kill me as best as she could. <laughs> Don likes his earthquakes long and hard. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Ah, uh, sorry, folks. I'm in a weird mood. I guess, I guess, uh, staring death in the face uh, makes you kind of goofy. Because yeah, I've been in a weird mood all day. So, eh, whatever. <laughs> all right. Well, let's see uh, what mood this movie puts you in. So, for this episode, uh, we're doing the Communion Girl, which is on Shutter. I think it's been there since early August, but uh, we had a theatrical run there for a minute. So, um. Finally got around to do something on VOD again, and this is what we chose. Let's see, our synopsis. May 1987, while returning from a nightclub and after having taken drugs, new girl in town Sarah and her friend Rebby, uh find a communion dress. From that moment, their lives will become a living hell. Wow, okay. A doll wearing a communion dress. You gotta watch out for those, I guess. <laughs> So we'll yeah, another reason to avoid religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll uh start with our general thoughts like usual. So Venom, what did you think of the communion girl? Um this movie wasn't bad, but it wasn't very inspired either. Um it's it's kind of a how could we put it? Uh, we've seen this story before, you know, a little girl kind of, you know, her spirit is haunting a group of people. They have to, you know, figure out, you know, why she's doing this, blah, 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 and then try to figure out how to stop the curse, if you will. We've seen it with The Ring. We've seen it with Fear.com. We've seen it with other films. So this one doesn't really get a lot of points for originality. Um, The story, I, I don't know, like... The way that they are implying, and I'm, I'm going to try to be as ambiguous as possible because there's a reveal in this film in the very last scene in the movie that almost changes the entire context of the movie, and I did not like that. Um, it, it, not necessarily that I didn't like, you know, the antagonist itself or what was presented on screen, but literally 99% of this movie, you you have you're under the impression that this little girl's spirit is the antagonist. And then literally in the final goddamn shot of the movie, they give you a reveal that really doesn't carry any weight because by the time you get to the end of the movie, it's like, okay, you've gone through your adventure. The, the quote-unquote heroes have done, or at least they think they've done what they need to, and then they just tack on that extra reveal 
I don't know if they're trying to set up a sequel. I don't know what they're going for here, but it really bothered me. I did not like it. It kind of, like I said, it changes the context of the entire film. And it almost makes everything that our protagonist did in the film pointless, like absolutely useless. And I hate that feeling of helplessness watching a horror film. It's like, you know, they, they do what they feel they need to do. They think the curse is over. That isn't anything original. We've seen that in plenty of movies before. Hell, we've seen it in the movies that I just named off. But to actually see it done again in 2023, just kind of, like I said, it felt a little inspired. Ultimately, the movie's not bad. It's a beautiful movie, very, very nice set design, costume design. Um, it's it shot well. The editing is a little wonky at times, but it's not enough to completely take you out of the movie. The score is serviceable. There's nothing really wrong with that. Um, it's just, like I said, they set you up for a certain story, a certain path, and then... And then rather than having that additional reveal maybe a few minutes before the end so that they can explore that a little bit, they just kind of leave you hanging at the end. And it's, it's, it's not ultra satisfying. At least for me, I wasn't ultra satisfied. You, you guys all know by now I am a Spaniard. I love my Spanish horror. And maybe I'm a little bit more forgiving on this one because it's Spanish horror, because, you know, none of the characters were insipid or unlikable. Um, but ultimately, you've got a, a movie with a very low uh, body count, um, not much blood or gore to speak of, um, a fairly unoriginal story, but at least you get some decent performances. You know, all the girls in the movie are very convincing in their roles, be it the two older teenage girls or the younger little girl, the, the younger sister of one of our protagonists. Performances were fine, like I said. There was one, you know, hateable adult in the movie, but he kind of got his by the end, which I found kind of humorous, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So yeah, it, it, it's not a bad movie. It's just not anything that I feel is essential viewing. Even if you're a supernatural horror fan, I just don't think there's enough originality here for me to say, go ahead and spend the hour and 40 minutes to, to watch this one. Like I said, not necessarily a bad movie, just kind of humdrum, uninspired, been there, done that you know, just doesn't really bring anything new to the subgenre. So all in all, a, a good effort, a decent film, but, you know, nothing really to write home about. It's not going to break the mold or, you know, reinvent the wheel by any stretch. So that's it for my general thoughts for now. All right, Dawn, uh, what did you think of The Communion Girl? Uh, first thoughts, holy Spanish J-horror, Batman. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I would say I'm really close to Venom with a lot of this, but yeah, my, my main thing is, is that a, uh, a, a lot of the film is really based, uh, quite heavily on the Asian J-horror scene. Um, it, it feels kind of like, you know, 15, 20 years too late to, you know, really do much of anything um you know a lot of it's predictable a lot of it's really easy to figure out where it's going uh, a lot of it is uh relatively predictable uh a, a few bits and pieces here that are kind of confusing um you know a plot point that doesn't really go anywhere or you know just redundancy built in just to kind of you know make the film seem longer than what it really is or what it really needed to be but yeah, other than that, uh, I, I don't think it's outwardly terrible. Uh, there's nothing about it that's really 
genuinely bad other than it just being predictable. I mean, it, it looks great. Everything is kind of, you know, on point with the look. I mean, I, I really like the low-key Spanish village that they have here. Uh, you know, it feels kind of like that remote out in the, you know, out of the countryside community where everybody's superstitious about everything else and all of these kinds of, you know, little little secret clandestine uh, meetings and details kind of uh, occur and all that. But, yeah, I, I don't think it was as strong as it could have been. Um, a lot of the imagery here is just very reminiscent of J-horror stuff. But even still, uh, it's not enough to really, like, just say, oh, well, it's, you know, just another you know, ghost movie, just, you know, kind of like move it aside from there. The, there's just something about it for some reason that kind of just keeps you invested. Um, I, I, I do like the mystery. I do like the buildup. Um, it, it does kind of get ruined by, uh, you know, the reveals, which, you know, again, we'll get to. But, yeah, and, until that point, I don't think that there's really much of anything that's really bothersome. Um, I mean, again, your mileage may vary on how much of a, you know, J-Horror knockoff you uh, like with your films. But the the main issue for me is uh, that final five minutes, which, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. It, it just feels tacked on to set up a sequel or set up a final jump scare for no reason. And it doesn't really fit in with anything that the the rest of the film has. But, yeah, overall, uh, again, like I said, it uh, depends on, uh, you know, your mileage, how far you, you know, you like your J-horror knockoffs. If you're fine with it, if you don't really, you know, care too much whether or not it is a ripoff, you're going to, it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. But you're not really going to be like completely wowed by it either. But yeah, if you're kind of taken off by that, if you're, you know, like we were saying, it's just kind of, you know, predictable and, you know, kind of easily, you know, you can figure out what's going on pretty quickly. That's kind of like what we were saying with the, you know, the J-Horror tropes and all that kind of stuff. That kind of, you know, where's that kind of, you know, doesn't really appeal to you that much, then it's going to, you know, knock it down a few points. But on the whole, there's nothing genuinely off about it. It's just, you know, we, we've seen this before and we've seen it done better, but it's kind of like the only real issue about it. So that's pretty much where I am on the, on this one. All right. Uh, as far as I go, yeah, I'm pretty much in line with you guys. Not a bad film. It's just, I think it's very basic. It, it takes a lot of cues from, Movies that have come before it, uh, J-Horror comes to mind, The Ring, like so, like it's already been mentioned. There's just not a lot to the story that we haven't seen before. Um, I also, man, when when movies in this budget range just have to throw in like these CGI monsters, I actually think there's a part where towards the end where they do use like a person in makeup and stuff, which is, that's fine, but like... A lot of times earlier in the movie when this entity or whatever you would refer to it as ghost or whatever is revealed, it's just cheap CGI. Uh, I recently watched that movie Cobweb um, on VOD and similar issue with that. Like, why? Like, you're building decent suspense and tension and then you just give me this, like, PS2 era, like, cutscene <laughs> of, like... A monster. I'm like, it just totally takes me out of the movie. But more on that movie some 
some other time. Um, yeah, this one, it, it just kind of follows like your very basic paint-by-numbers plot. There's not much more to it than that. It's why I don't even really have that much to add other than what you guys have already said because there's just not a lot to reveal. And the problem is, as already stated, the one kind of big reveal you do get five minutes or with about five minutes of the movie left, there's nowhere to go with that. There's no redemption for that because it's like, oh, so we were led to believe something this whole time and then something else is actually the case and there's there's no way to construct that or deal with that once the reveal happens. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would say overall middle of the road movie. It's not bad, um, but, man, Shudder, I wish you were aiming a little higher <laughs> with what you were with grabbing for the app, but uh, we had plenty to say about that even on the other show, so or the main show. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're really into this type of movie – I guess go ahead and watch it. I I don't think you're going to get it blown away. It's probably not going to be a contender of a movie, but uh, I guess you could do worse, but that's not really that much of an endorsement. So if you're a hardcore fan of like kind of like the possessed ghost kid seeking revenge for something genre, I guess, maybe you'll like it. Um, but other than that, yeah, I don't know. There's not a lot you're going to get from this movie that you haven't seen before. And it's not and it's not even, like, one of the better movies to do it. So it's just kind of middle of the road. I, I think it's kind of similar to what we were saying about Detention when that came out a few years ago, where if you were curious about it, it would be a fine entry point to kind of seek out the other ones that were better. But then you're also stuck with the problem that, you know, just stick with the the better ones that already did it. So, I mean, it, it's still good on its own. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think, like, the main one I would really recommend this to is those that are, like, curious about the J-horror stuff. But, I mean, there's really no difference between seeking out Juwan again or Ringu or, you know, any of the other ones because they're already readily available. And you're not going to, you know, you still have the, you know, subtitle issue, which, I mean, I don't understand why you would be put off by a movie that way. But, yeah, like, it it just feels kind of like just middle of the road, but it's still not, it's still too good to just, like, say, oh, well, it's, you know, not really worth your time. Yep, I agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Did anybody else get talk to me vibes from the cold open? Like it's almost it's almost a carbon copy of talk to me. That's that's what it was. I was racking my brain trying to figure out why why it was so familiar. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. except in this one, it's a fork instead of a knife. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's almost, almost identical. I, I found that kind of interesting. Obviously, this would have been filmed a long time before Talk to Me came out, so it's not like it's a direct ripoff, but uh, well, I, I just found it kind of funny. The production, the production date on it says it's 2022, so it's just coming to America. Oh, right, now. yeah. This, yeah, yeah, good point. This came out in Spain last year, so yeah, yeah, we're we're a little behind on that one. <laughs> Yeah, it's really too bad. I really, uh, you know, you guys know I love my Spanish horror, and I tend to, gra- I, you know, I tend to gravitate towards that stuff when I have an option of multiple movies to watch. But unfortunately, like I said, a good effort. Like I'd like to see where uh, this director, Victor Garcia. I'd like to see, oh, writer director actually, 
I'd like to see where uh, he goes from here. You know, potentially you can. There's, he's, there's... The, he's the guy that did um, Return to House on Haunted Hill. Right. Uh, yeah, he did um, Mirrors 2. Oh, yeah, he, that's, yeah, he that's did a <laughs> yeah, he's done a bunch of stuff uh, in the past. Yeah. So uh, his name. Oh, God, he did Hellraiser Revelations, too. That doesn't make me happy. <laughs> and I am oh, a Hellraiser fan. I haven't seen. Good, the one yeah, I haven't seen. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it, uh, go it, ahead. I was going to say, it's just unfortunate because in, in some ways, like, movies like this, I feel like they have their place, obviously. Like, it's lower It's lower budget. It's It's a director working probably within the constraints he's given. But I, I almost like look at Shudder and I, I don't blame them because they're just grabbing a movie, but I'm just like, are, why aren't you like aiming higher about the movies you're putting on the app? Like, come on. Like, th- this is what you're really trying to feature. I mean, I guess if you if you are going to have a specific, because they do have like a, ca- a collections section where everything's categorized. So like if you're going to have a category specifically for like, you know, lower budget stuff to give a chance to, okay, throw it in there, but, like, you're throwing stuff like this up on, like, your featured menu stuff, like... No, uh, I'm not really... I'm not really surprised at that, because it reminds me of a discussion that we had back in 2020, when we were in the midst of the pandemic. It's not going to be 2021 that's going to be the one that's going to be bad, because everybody's going to be finishing their movies in 2020, and they're going to release it in 2021. It's 2022 and 2023 that's going to be the crappy years because that's going to be the ones where nobody's going to be able to film because everybody was stuck in lockdowns. So that's what we're getting now is shutters picking up what little is available because nobody's really back to full strength yet. It's not going to be until the end of the year or even in 2024 where we're not, where we're finally going to get the good stuff. Yeah. This very much reminds me of what's, it very much reminds me of that discussion we had back then. Sure. Well, it's also they're acquiring, right? Make... The thing is, like, the other part of it is, like, I, I read stories all the time that they're acquiring rights to, like, better quality stuff. Or not saying that those movies would turn out to be good, but at least there's more hope that they're going to be pretty good. But they're just not putting them on the app. It's like they're trying to shop them elsewhere first and then instead this is the stuff that they're actually putting on the app when it's like I've read plenty of stories of like oh Shutter acquires the rights to distribute this and then it doesn't end up actually end up on the app for like 18 months from then and I'm just like what the hell's going on here hey if there's money to be made in the theater even if it's in the independent theater they'll probably leave it there for a little bit yeah I mean because ultimately even, with even streaming yeah yeah, with streaming, you're going to get a one-time payment. You know, the service is going to pay for the movie with a one-time fee, and then, you know, it's just going to be run as long as people continue to select to watch it. Um, even on VOD, yeah, like Mike said, it, there's at least the potential for more profitability there. And if they can hold on to it and leave it on VOD for six months, nine months, a year, and make more than they think they'll make on the streaming rights, yeah, why wouldn't they do it? I mean, obviously, as fans, we don't agree with it, but, you know, ultimately, the movie industry is still just that, an industry, and industries are concerned with profit. So, you know, that that leaves us in a shitty situation as fans of the content that's being created, but, uh, you know, what can you do? And then to kind of 
jump on Don's point about the conversation that we had during the pandemic, um, we could have that exact same conversation right now because we're in the midst of a writer's and actor's strike here in the States. Obviously, that's probably not going to affect foreign content too much, but as far as, like, you know, local domestic television and and film production, it's going to be a major effect. And just like what Don was saying with the pandemic, uh, this strike isn't going to affect the stuff that we get this year because that stuff's already been written and filmed and, you know, it's it's ready to go. It's, you know, it's in post-production now or whatever. It's next year and the following year that this writer and actor strike it's, is really going to show its ugly head. Obviously, fans of late night TV are feeling the effects now because with late night television, they write those on the fly. They usually write those that day. So literally, as soon as the actor's strike went into effect, I'm sure many of you noticed no more late show, uh, you know, no more late night talk shows, no more Jimmy Kimmel, no more Jimmy Fallon, because like I said, they write that on the fly. So that's the, that's the industry that was affected right away. Um, but the film industry, yeah, I would look to next year to really see the effects of this writer's strike, just like with the pandemic in 2020. Yeah, because what would be yeah, – <laughs> well, because – well, so that's what we were saying is that what would be filmed now, it would be put into post-production editing and then it would be distributed months after mm-hmm. the fact. It's not going to be immediately that you're going to feel the effects of anything because what's going on now is you're just getting the stuff that was already, like he was saying, pre-filmed and it's already ready to go. What's going to happen to the stuff that's supposed to be filming now? That's the, yep. that's the part that gets, uh, that's the part that's going to get shortchanged. Exactly. And the nice thing about the, well, not maybe not the nice thing, but the thing about the film industry, too, is that um, the pandemic, how can I put it? I'm not even sure how to put this point into words. It makes sense in my head, but then as soon as I started to vocalize it, it doesn't really make sense. Um, yeah, let's just go ahead and skip that point for now. But yeah, um, we're, we're all feeling it. We're all feeling the pinch. I mean, just when the uh, the cinemas were finally, you know, opening up at full capacity and giving us all the blockbusters that we missed in 2020. Now we get a writer's strike and an actor's strike and blah, blah, blah. And, and of course, it's it's Armageddon here in, in Los Angeles right now with the hurricanes. So, yeah, it seems like life in Southern California is falling apart for almost everybody. Yay. <laughs> All right, back to our movie. We went off on a tangent long enough. Um, what else can we say about this movie before we get into the uh, what will be a fairly short walkthrough? <laughs> um, yeah, this movie really makes all the adults in this look really shitty early on. There's a scene early with a communion, and, like, every kid is seems likable and normal, and every adult is they're either fussing over their child's communion or they're fussing over somebody else's, you know, actions or, you know, they're being offended by, you know, uh, Revy's, you know, mentality or the way that she dresses or whatever. It's just in the opening, like, 10, 15 minutes of the movie, every adult is shitty, and I found that kind of funny. Uh, they do redeem themselves for the most part, though we don't really see a whole lot of adult action outside of Revy's father as the movie goes along. I mean, because... You know, we see we see um, uh, what's our main star's name? Our, our main character, Sarah. We see Sarah's parents throughout the movie, but even they disappear come the third act. By the third act, it's literally solid all kids. The only adults we're really getting in the third act are the parents of the dead girl whose spirit is causing all of the horror of this film, and that's kind of a quick scene, really, more than 
anything. But um, one thing I forgot to talk about in my uh, – and that's probably because – one thing I forgot to talk about earlier was the ending and the context of the first reveal being the little girl and why she's doing what she's doing or, or why her spirit is doing what she's doing. And I, I found it to be so goddamn petty. I remember walking into the final scene of the film, I'm like, if this is the end of the movie – this is annoying. Like, like I thought that the I thought that the killer in um, the blackening was petty as shit for his you know reasoning behind why he's killing people. But this little girl would be even worse. The only defense is that she's a little girl and she doesn't know any better. So you know when she died, she was a little girl and doesn't really understand the ways of the world and what to be angry at. But like I said, then we get that last little reveal at the very very end of the film and. It kind of forgives the little girl's motivation a little bit, but like Don said, it just adds a whole nother wrench to the storyline that's not explored, not explained. It it just like I said, it just it leaves you unsatisfied because it almost feels like we we spent an hour and thirty five minutes with a movie to then get the final five minutes from a different movie. Like this you know, we didn't see anything like this throughout the movie. We had, you know, the, the, the film doesn't give us any hints that something might be going on behind, behind the scenes, you know, even farther than what we as the viewer understand. And, yeah, sometimes directors think that they're being clever, and I, I just don't see it. I don't think they're being clever. I'm sorry. There There are clever twists in the world, absolutely, you know, but this was not one of them. And to add that additional scene there at the end, I mean, to, to add the only CG character in the whole movie, because that's another thing, too, is the little girl was practical. The little girl spirit was practical throughout the entire film. And then you give us that final reveal at the end with this, you know, CG monstrosity, and it's like, what the fuck? You took, you took all the goodwill, whatever goodwill that this movie did gain throughout its runtime, you just killed it with that ending. And it's like, what the hell was the point? It's like if that was as, if that was our antagonist, why the fuck didn't we get more of that? It might have been more interesting. Shit, it might have been yeah. more interesting than just a pissed off little girl going around killing people. I actually, and then I actually, oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna just add to your point. I actually rewound the movie at a certain point because I was like, did I, I was like, did I miss something that contributed to her motivation for doing all this? And then when I got to the end, and I was yeah, like, I thought so too. Oh. Yeah, I was like, okay, I guess. That yeah. makes sense, but what is this other like? What? Like, okay. Yeah. yeah, I thought I had looked. I thought I had like looked down at the wrong moment when I was taking notes and realized, wait, what the fuck? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then another thing that bugged me is all the people in the town who supposedly knew this story, but didn't like. What's the term I'm looking for? Um, didn't really have any like. Uh, any way to help, like, like they knew the story, but they didn't really share it with anybody. The priest was annoying as fuck, too, because there's a priest in this movie that is literally confronted by Sarah with the truth, with the exact truth, and he still denies it, even though he's in the middle of his own investigation, looking into what's going on on with this kid it's like why would you not just admit to sarah that yes you know that there's something going on maybe we can help each other maybe we can you know get together share all the information that we know and maybe come up with a solution instead this guy just it's just this selfish dude who i don't know if he's trying to be a superhero like he wants to solve the mystery himself doesn't so then he just ends up coming off as just shitty and i hate that 
I, I just there's no reason for it. I mean, if think about it, if you're in the middle of a years long investigation and you're looking for information about something, and then a random stranger comes up to you and potentially might know something that you don't, why wouldn't you want to talk to them and try to figure out together? what's going on. So yeah, his, his whole motivation kind of just bothered the shit out of me. Like at first I thought they were setting him up to be a red herring. You know what I mean? Like maybe he killed the little girl or something. Um, but no, it was much more boring than that, which we'll get into in the walkthrough. <laughs> so if no one has anything else, I guess that will be your final spoiler warning folks. We're going to go ahead and get into our walkthrough. If you have um, not seen, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say one thing. I don't know if this was brought up before, mm-hmm. but uh, I didn't know if this was truly spoiler or not, but when did the actual event takes place, uh, the the death of the little girl? Because I mean, it, it it makes it sound like it happened like five, ten years ago, but then everybody right. seems to make it think like it's, you know, happened like last week. Well, no, no, they only have communion once a year in that village. They, they well, were talking about like how that's year. an annual event. Uh, but I don't think it was yeah, last but, year. I think it was even farther because they said, remember – one of the characters said that the mother of Marisol, the little girl, has been going to the communion every year asking for her daughter. So I'm, I'm thinking this is like a four or five year crime. Plus, yeah, mom that's what looks I was pretty bad. That's what I was <laughs> thinking like, too. Is that it was because yeah, because yeah, that would explain the the cold open because it makes it because that makes it seem like it's you know a couple of years ago, and that would tie in. But then. It makes it seem like that's also something that's been happening for several years now. But then, I don't know. Yeah, the the timeline to this is kind of all over the place. Yeah, the events of the cold open, I believe, happened a year ago. um, Because that would have been about the time of the last communion. I don't know. The movie doesn't necessarily imply that someone gets cursed every year right around the communion. It, It doesn't imply that, but... It almost makes it seem that way because, like I said, they talk about other people that have supposedly been cursed in the past. Um, and like I said, there there is that one throwaway line by uh, Pedro where he's like, yeah, yeah, that mother, she goes to the communion every year looking for her missing daughter and basically acting like she just went missing, like this moment. But actually That's she was confusing me, yeah, because yeah. Yeah, when she came up to – Sarah and Ruby, it made it seem like that had happened like just yesterday. Yep. So, okay, yeah. Or yeah, or even that, that minute, because she even said, you know, my my little girl's right, in a communion yeah. dress, so it implies that she was part of this communion that's happening right now, but yeah. Okay, yeah, that's the part Like I said, they don't give us specific information. Yeah, yeah we okay. kind of have to plug in the missing information in this one a little bit. Sadly. Yeah, because that that's uh, what I was saying. Like, that was the part that got me, was that... It's all based on, you know, that one conversation where she comes up to her and says, where is she? She, you know, I just saw her. And it makes it seem like it it had just happened, you know, like just now. So Exactly. Yep. I, I think that's what they were going for, you know, the, you know to, to kind of confuse the viewer a little bit. Um, but then when we actually meet her later in the film, you can tell she's older than she was, um, you know, years ago, especially when they show the flashback when the little girl's still alive. Mom looked. Looks a lot younger, not a lot, but a little, you know, she looks a bit younger. Um, and then, you know, when we see her in modern time, modern day, she's, you know, a little bit more disheveled, you know, a little bit, you know, a few more wrinkles on her face, things like that. So blah, blah, blah. Okay. Like I said, I'm plugging in the, the holes as best I can. <laughs> yeah, that was my main thing. Cause I, I don't know if that was a spoiler or not, but yeah, that was my yeah. big thing. Yeah. 
All right, so let's get into the film. Our movie opens with a cold open. We are in. We we see a girl sitting at the edge of her bed. Um, she obviously is very nervous. She's been crying. Her eyes are all swelled up, and she's uh, you know she looks terrified of something. Um, like there's something in the room with her. Uh, at one point, her boyfriend walks into the room, and she and we as the audience also see it. She basically sees a spirit of a little girl in a communion dress standing behind her boyfriend. She ends up grabbing a fork to defend herself to try to attack the entity, but the entity disappears before she can do anything, but she still has the fork in her hand. And then she starts telling her boyfriend, this girl's after me. I've been seeing her everywhere I go. She's going to get me. I can't take it anymore. I can't live like this. And this is where we get the similarity to the talk to me cold open, whereas in that one, the kid stabbed himself in his in the face with a knife. In this one, the girl takes the knife, uh, the, the fork that she's holding in her hand, and she jams it into her jugular in her neck twice, like really quick, almost like jailhouse stabs, just boom, boom, stabs herself really quick, and, and she basically ends up bleeding out. The boyfriend is there, you know, trying to resuscitate her, but to no avail, she ends up dying, and that's our cold open. So, it's a quickie. After that, we, it is now... Communion Day, um, it's the, as the uh, synopsis said, it's 1987, it is Communion Day, and we are in a small village in Spain, by the way, we're not like in Madrid or Barcelona, so we're, you know, we're nowhere near a city, we are definitely in a more village type setting, like, you know, a very rural area. It's Communion Day, there are girls that are, you know, getting their communion, and then we see Sarah's little sister the you know the girl um the girl who will kind of spend some time with as the film goes along she's being she's getting her communion and she's the only girl who doesn't have a doll all the other girls that are there getting their communion are holding dolls that are also wearing communion dresses so it must be like some kind of right either like a rite of passage or just some kind of custom in this town that or in this village that all the girls carry communion dolls on their communion day Unfortunately, Sarah's little sister um, comes from a family, you know, that they don't have a whole lot of money, unfortunately. And instead of a doll, she's given a rosary. And she's embarrassed by this. She doesn't like that everyone else has a doll and she has to pose in her picture with just a rosary with her hands in the praying position, as opposed to all the other girls who get to hold their doll and get a nice smiling picture, blah, blah, blah. At that moment as pictures are being taken um a mother shows up at the communion and she's very distraught she's basically um asking everyone there have you seen my daughter have you seen a little girl she's wearing a communion dress you know her name is marisol has anyone seen her uh, uh, no one at the communion has seen her eventually her husband shows up and kind of drags her away um we don't really get any kind of explanation as to what's going on it's just you know we're left to assume that one of the little girls went missing but no one seems to be doing anything about it so either mom is just nutty or you know potentially it's what actually ends up happening which is the crime was actually years ago and did not happen on this communion day um we're, we're introduced to rebby who's um she's uh sarah's best friend she's kind of a, a counterculture chick in the sense that she doesn't dress traditionally or act traditionally she's very much a modern 80s girl you know with the leather jacket and the tight jeans and everything and um we basically meet her and sarah trying to get a ride to a a club there's a club just outside of town 
but they don't have a car. They don't have any friends with a car. Um, so they set up a, a ride with someone that they know uh, um, who actually is kind of running a little bit of a taxi service um, back and forth between the small town, the village that they're all from, and then this club, which is just outside of town. Um, they go to the club. They have a good time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they take some ecstasy. Uh, they meet a couple of guys, guys that they know, they've known from the past, but, you know, they've never really met up with them at a club or whatever. Turns out that Rebby got the ecstasy from one of these guys, um, Chivo. His name was Chivo and his buddy Pedro. So those are going to be the main players of the movie, Rebby, Sarah, Pedro, and Chivo. So they end up, um, the, the club basically, you know, closes its doors for the night, but the girls forgot to keep track of their ride, and as they're leaving the club, their ride is leaving without them. They are now stuck at this club, which is in the uh, kind of in the outskirts. I think they even say it's like 20 kilometers away, because I, I think at one point Sarah says, you know, it's the option of either getting yelled at by my father or walking for 20 kilometers, and I'd rather just get yelled at by my father. Rebby convinces her not to because her home life is even worse. She only lives with her father. Um, her mother ended up leaving them years earlier, and out of spite, I guess, the father just basically spread the rumor that she was a whore and that she was sleeping around when it, late, we find out the truth later in the film that she just wanted to get out of uh, the abusive relationship. Her father is an alcoholic. He's very abusive. You know, he blows his top at the slightest thing. Um, so obviously mom left just to get away from him. He starts spreading the rumor that she was a whore, which then kind of trickles down to Rebby. So now people in the town kind of look at Rebby kind of down their noses at her like she's, you know, her her mother's daughter, another whore in the making, if you will. Uh, so, like I said, they're all stuck at the uh, at the club. The club is closed. Everyone is leaving. They decide to start walking, but then eventually Chivo and Pedro drive by. Now, when we first meet Chivo and Pedro, they come off as very swarmy little characters. They look like they really just want to get these girls off the road and out into the woods so that they can basically have their way with them. Luckily, Rebby is a strong woman who basically tells Chivo, you ain't touching anything of mine, I don't care what you try, blah, blah, blah. But while they're driving and kind of getting into this little bit of an argument, because the guys obviously want to have some fun, the girls just want to go home, um, they're arguing in the car, and then eventually Sarah notices that there's a little girl on the road, she grabs the steering wheel, swerves the car out of the way, doesn't cause an accident, luckily, um, but Chivo is obviously, who is the driver at this point, is very mad at her, you know, why would you grab the steering wheel, blah, 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 Sarah explains that she thinks she saw a little girl in the road, this is where I start to get pissed off at people, because Chivo and Pedro, even Rebby, because don't forget, Sarah is a new girl in town, so she doesn't know a lot of the local mythology and urban legends and things like that. But everyone else in the car, when Sarah says, I saw a little girl in a communion dress, everyone in the car reacts like, could it be? Nah. And they just, you know, they don't make a big deal about it, even though they all are aware of this legendary curse in this area. Sarah isn't convinced that, you know, that she's just crazy or that it was the ecstasy that was making her see things. So she gets out of the car, looks around for the potential little girl that may be hurt or scared, doesn't find any, 
any little girl out there, but what she does find is a doll. She finds a doll with a white communion dress on. Well, the dress isn't white anymore because it looks like the doll's been out in the woods for years. It's very disheveled. It's a mess, basically. Um, Sarah, in her infinite wisdom, decides to take the doll with her um, so that she could take it to the priest later and find out if maybe the doll belongs to one of the girls that had their communion earlier in the day. Maybe they went out in the woods and dropped the doll and blah, blah, blah. But when she goes to speak to the priest, um, he denies everything. He does it, He denies not recognizing the doll. Um, she basically asks, you know, have any girls gone missing during their communion or on communion day? Um, you, could, you know the priest is lying. You can see the expression on his face. He, he's like, nope, I don't know anything, and you need to leave right now. And, you know, so obviously Sarah leaves, and she's all pissed off. Now, that evening, uh, we find out that Chivo actually owns an arcade in the area. Don't forget, it's 1987, so arcades are still popular. So even in this little tiny town, they got a pretty decent little arcade, I mean, for all intents and purposes. It was better than any arcade I had in my hometown in 1987, so I'll give them credit for that. Um, they're closing up for the night. It turns out that Pedro is actually uh, Chivo's cousins. They're cousins. Chivo owns the arcade, but Pedro works at the arcade, um, basically just doing, like, maintenance work and cleaning and things like that. It's basically the end of the night. Um, uh, they close up the arcade. Chivo finishes – not Chivo, excuse me. Pedro finishes up all his cleaning duties and turns off all the machines and then asks Chivo if he wants to go to the bar and get a couple of drinks. Uh, Chivo decides, you know, I'll meet you there in a little bit. They end up having a quick conversation about Pedro potentially sleeping at the arcade tonight because he's once again having some troubles at home with his parents. Um, Chivo says, fine, you can stay here. And then uh, Pedro leaves to go to the bar. As soon as Pedro leaves, the lights start to flicker. And we all know what flickering lights mean in a supernatural horror movie. Obviously, Chivo starts seeing things. Um, the uh, arcade, Some arcade machines start turning on by themselves. Even though they're not plugged into the wall, he very carefully looks behind all of them and sees none of them are plugged in. But they're coming on and turning off on their own. Eventually, um, a spirit of a little girl does attack Chivo in the arcade. Uh, uh, fortunately, he's able to get away, get out of the arcade, and get into his car. But, of course, this is a horror movie, and you never really get away from spirits. So as Chivo is driving away, of course, we get the uh, you know, the, the horror tropey scene that we've seen before. He looks into his rearview mirror, sees that there's someone sitting back there, um, the spirit basically grabs at Chivo, and then he unfortunately drives right into a truck hauling, um, I don't want to say logs, because they're not quite thick enough to be logs, it's more like just really thick twigs. It's definitely not like the log truck in Final Destination, not at all. Um, but he ends up running into this truck and unfortunately ends up impaling himself on a couple of the the, the large <laughs> branches, I guess you could call them, that are sticking out um, from the truck. And he is gone. So um, one of the only real deaths that we get in this movie, and it's only indirectly caused by the spirit, which is a little disappointing. Um, fortu well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, Sarah and Rebby just happened to be right there, and they witnessed the car accident. Um, as soon as the car, the car stops, 
Uh, Sarah runs up to the car and tries to save Chivo. Unfortunately, like I said, he's impaled into his driver's seat from these um, t- um, branches that came off the truck. But before he dies, he is able to get out a couple of words, and those words are the girl. The girl. And at this point, Sarah now knows that, shit, we must all be experiencing this, even though she's the one who, in her infinite wisdom, decided to pick up that doll and take it with her. It seems that all four of them are now cursed. And this is one of the things that bugs me about this movie, is that why were they cursed? Were they cursed because they picked up the doll? Were they cursed because they saw the ghost? Uh, Were they cursed because they talked about her? Uh, there's never any real explanation about about this. Like I said, the kid's knowledge of the curse is very basic. A girl went missing on her communion, and now her spirit will, you know, haunt people who, you know, are unfortunate enough to cross her path. That's pretty much it. That's the curse. So that's kind of what you have to accept in this movie. Um, So let's see. Uh, Where are we at this point? Uh, Chivo has now died. They finally... um, they're, they're able to figure out uh, through looking at pictures and some records at the church because the second time that they go to the church, uh, they find out that the priest has been killed. We see the priest's dead body on the floor. We're not 100% sure why. But basically at the exact moment that the three, the three kids that are there, Pedro, Sarah, and Rebbe, uh, basically decide, okay, let's split up and try to look for some information. Literally a supernatural force pulls two of them out of the room and um, basically, uh, like, pulls – oh, no, no. Uh, basically just separates them all. They're all in the church, and the, the supernatural force, like, pulls them out and separates them all. They then have to go through a couple of more horror set pieces where they have encounters with the spirit. Um, one cool thing I did like is that the way that the spirit attacks people – um, basically, the spirit pulls them into another realm. Um, it's almost like it's attacking their psyche more than their physical person. Uh, so basically, we as the viewer, what we see is we see the person just pass out. They pass out and they're on the ground with their eyes wide open. They almost look like they're dead. But then when we actually see the point of view of the person being attacked, we see that they're underwater and the, and the little girl's spirit is basically pulling them down deeper into the water trying to kill them. Um, as long as you have someone there to kind of shake you awake, it seems like – because the spirit never actually successfully kills anyone in this way. Um, luckily, someone is, the, the victim is always woken up in time before you know the spirit can take them out in the alternate realm or dimension or mindset, whatever the fuck you want to go with. Um, eventually they all, um, while they're there at the church and while they're separated, Sarah does eventually find some information. She sees a picture on a film strip and realizes they recognize the doll. The doll that Sarah is holding in her hand is the doll in this film strip. They find the girl that's holding it. And the girl that's holding it has the same kind of marks and not scars, but like, um, formations, almost like a honeycomb shape, um, irritation on the skin. Remember, um, I mentioned in the cold open that the girl and that had these markings on her, you know, kind of looked like a rash, but like I said, shaped like honeycombs, which is kind of interesting. A- on other parts of the body, it wasn't shaped the exact same. Sometimes it looked like, uh, <laughs> it some- at one point it looked like spray tan that had just gotten washed off. <laughs> that was like the early stages of the rash, but eventually, yeah, it does seem to take that honeycomb type shape, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, oh, what else? Uh, oh, right. So they find out that the little girl's name is Marisol Beltran. Um, she is a little girl and that she did go missing the day of her communion. So that's when they figure out, oh, the priest lied to us because he claimed he didn't know anything about that. Um, but obviously the priest is now dead, so they can't get any more information from him. They decide to visit Marisol's parents. Apparently Marisol's parents still live in the community. And this is the scene where we find out that the woman at the beginning who was looking for her mother is Marisol's mother and that she just does this every year at the communion ceremony. Every year she shows up and asks people if you've seen my daughter, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> and then... We basically get kind of a reveal. Oh, wait, wait, no. I skipped the whole scene. Hold on. I'm sorry. Um, they go to visit Marisol's parents. Um, Marisol's father is a very private guy who basically just shoes off all trespassers. So they sneak past him. They're able to get into the farmhouse. Inside the house, they see the pictures of um, the little girl, and they realize that the marks on her skin weren't there early on. Um, it's the later pictures with her that she shows off the markings on her arms and shoulders and whatnot. So obviously something happened to this little girl that kind of cursed her to get these markings on her skin. Um, we find out um, that Marisol went missing in the ruins, apparently near the church where the communions are held in this village. There is an area called the Ruins. It's basically just an abandoned part of the church from, you know, ancient times. Um, you know, it's all wet and, you know, made of stone and blah, blah, blah. They find out that she, that Marisol went missing there and was never seen again. So they decide, let's all go to the ruins and figure out what's going on. While in the ruins, once again, a supernatural force pulls them all apart and separates them. But this time when they pull Sarah, they pull Sarah into a well. Hmm, starting to sound familiar? <laughs> uh, and then when she gets to the bottom of the well, um, she obviously crashes down there. She falls down. She passes out for a little bit. But then once she wakes up, she realizes that the spirit of the little girl is sitting right across the well from her. They're at the bottom of the well. And the little girl is there, but she doesn't attack necessarily. She starts to slowly come near um, uh, Sarah just kind of slowly crawling. It's very obvious that like some of her bones are broken. Don't know if maybe they fell in the, or if they broke in the fall or whatever, but the spirit is basically implying that some of their limbs are broken. But I also forgot to mention that all through the movie, when we see this spirit, you can basically tell that the little girl drowned because her face is very bloated. Her eyes are like bugging out and almost coming out of her face um, her skin is blue, and like I said, her face looks fat, even though the rest of her body looks like a normal little girl. So obviously she drowned. She's bloated. Um, so like I said, at the bottom of the well, the spirit of the little girl starts to slowly approach Sarah. Sarah is frozen in fear, almost like this is an Italian giallo, but that's a story for another podcast. Um, eventually the, the Marisol ghost reaches Sarah, but instead of attacking her, she actually embraces her. She hugs her. And this is when Sarah realizes that, um, while she was talking to Marisol's mother, Marisol said, or the mother said that everybody in town made fun of Marisol, basically called her names, spit at her, and that no one even wanted to touch her. And that, and at the moment that um, Marisol's spirit embraces Sarah, Sarah realizes, oh, shit, 
no one would ever touch her. This little girl just wants to be touched, or at least that's the conclusion that she comes to. So she goes ahead and returns the embrace, puts her arms around um, Marisol's, you know, spirit, if you will, specter, whatever you want to call her. So they're now both locked and embraced. They're hugging each other. Suddenly the well starts to fill with water and fill fairly quickly. And, you know, within a few seconds, um, both Marisol and uh, Sarah are engulfed in water. They're down there. Um, Marisol ends up, or not Marisol, excuse me. Sarah ends up making, um, or Sarah ends up having a flashback but in the POV of the little girl from the day that she went missing. And this is when we get the reveal of what happened. Basically what happened is she, she just kind of wandered off. Like I said, she didn't have any friends. The town folks basically made fun of her, uh, shunned her, if you will. So it's after her communion. She's in the ruins, and we see her just kind of walking around the ruins, almost like something's enticing her in there, almost like they're calling to her. We don't hear anything. But it just doesn't look normal because at first, most people would probably think she lost her doll because throughout the film, and I forgot to mention this, uh, we actually hear a ghostly voice talking about, I lost my doll. Her skin is probably rotten right by now, blah, blah, blah. Like that line is repeated multiple times throughout the movie. So obviously we assume that maybe the little girl lost her doll, went into the ruins to go look for her. And but that's not the case. Like I said, during the flashback, we see that she's just walking around the, the area. She loses her footing and ends up falling into a well and just drowning. Like no one pushed her. No one. It didn't seem at the time like anybody was enticing her, blah, blah, blah. She just fell into the well. At this point in the movie, I'm pissed off at the spirit. I'm like, you died because of your own dumbass, you know, uh, decisions and now you're mad at everybody else in this town and you're going around killing them and cursing them. I'm like, this is the, this is the most petty fucking spirit I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I've got all of that written down in my notes. Cause like I said, when we got that reveal, I was so fucking pissed off. Um, Cause the town folks thought that her father, they thought that Marisol's father had killed her. That turned out not to be true. Other people thought Marisol was kidnapped or, you know, Lord knows what could have happened to her. None of that turned out to be true. It's just she fell in the well in the ruins and no one thought to look for her in the ruins. Um, I'm not sure if anybody looked for this girl at all. It's almost implied that there wasn't much of a search because, you know, the little girl was, you know, shunned because of her skin condition, blah, 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 blah. So with with all of this information... Um, once, once Sarah sees the flashback and experiences it fully and realizes that this girl died because she fell in the well, suddenly the well starts to drain just as fast as it filled up. It completely drains. And then when all the water is gone, we see a dead little girl's body, um, very decomposed, not looking exactly like the Marisol spirit that we've been seeing throughout the movie, but just, you know, very decomposed. Looks like she's been down there a while. And suddenly it almost seems like the curse is just lifted, like the curse is gone. They take her body out. They bury her a la fear.com and, you know, kind of similar to the ring as well, except in the ring, you know, Samara was pushed into the well by her parents. Um, but here, obviously, it was an accident. So we, we get that reveal. Uh, they get out of the well. They bury her body. Everybody, every everything seems to be okay. Everybody goes back home. 
Um, I skipped an entire scene with Rebby and her father, but it's not ultra vital to the story, so I'm not going to worry about it. Though it is kind of an entertaining scene, considering how much of an asshole her father is to her. I'll leave that scene to you guys to discover on your own. Um, but then, so now it's the next morning. The sun is up. Sarah comes home. She's pissed off that her sister is still awake, that she basically stayed up all night waiting for her. Um, parents were away at work overnight, so the parents are none the wiser as to what Sarah's been doing, luckily. Uh, they all end up going upstairs to just kind of try to uh, get some rest. Basically, you know, Sarah and um, is trying to put her sister to sleep, and when she goes back up to the room, her sister is holding the doll. Um, you know, the, the doll in question that we've been looking at throughout the entire movie. She suddenly... <laughs> Um, you know, she realizes I didn't bring this doll back home with me. How the hell did you get it? The little girl's like, I don't know, it was just there. And I picked it up and started playing with it. Suddenly, all the doors in the room close, the shutters on the window close, the lights start to flicker. It's a very familiar scene. And this is when Sarah realizes, oh, shit, Marisol wasn't the problem um, basically, in this instance, she realizes that in her flashback, Marisol wasn't just walking in the ruins willy-nilly. Something was calling to her. Something was enticing her. Um, probably the same voice and message that we've been hearing throughout the movie. My doll is lost. Her skin must be rotten by now. Blah, blah, blah. And then uh, in the corner of the room, we see a CG monstrosity just kind of come out. Um, it almost looked a little bit like Dracula from last week, from uh, Last Voyage of the Demeter. Not nearly as cool, obviously. Um, but yeah, she basically, uh, this this thing kind of steps out from the corner. It's, you know, like I said, it's tall, it's thin, it looks very demonic, fucked up looking. And then it just <laughs> smiles at the girls, and the movie's over. And that's it. We literally get a reveal at the very fucking end that just, ah... Uh, uh, and then we do get a kind of a mid credit scene where we see Marisol and her mother when she was still alive. And we see that it was actually her dog that brought her the doll. So that kind of answers the question of why these people are cursed. I guess they, they have some kind of interaction with this doll. But then it turns out the doll isn't really haunted by Marisol. It's haunted by this demonic thing that we see at the end, which is just such an unsatisfying um, revelation, you know, you've been watching this entire movie, trying to figure out why Marisol's doing all this, and then it turns out she's not even doing any of it. It's something that's controlling her. Very similar to Insidious Part 3, I believe, or was it Part 2? No, Insidious... Uh, no, not even Insidious. Uh, the Conjuring Part 2. Remember the old man ghost that they thought was haunting yeah. that apartment, but then it turned out he was being controlled by Valak? So, very... Mm -hmm. So, now even more similarities to movies that we've seen in the past. So uh, there you go. That is uh, the communion girl, 2023 in the States, a communion girl universe of demons. <laughs> oh God. I hope not. Cause this demon, I'm sorry. This was one of the most generic looking things I've ever seen. Like, like they, it doesn't look like there was any inspiration to do this thing. It was literally just a tall, thin humanoid form didn't really have claws or horns or, you know, I mean, just a mouthful of sharp teeth, but that was about it, you know, very similar to, like, Pennywise or whatever. But And then that's it. And then they just leave well, us with that information. It's like, it almost, okay. it almost It almost feels like a case of, like, the movie, 
was originally shot without that. And then they're like, wait a minute. So this is all just an accident. We got to have some more uh, yep. motivation or reason behind it than that. Oh, I know. We'll tack on like a something at the end where there's actually another demon. Because other than that, uh, yeah. I'm like, I don't understand why that was there or why they thought that would be like a satisfying conclusion. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you know, was... like I said, it's, it's... Oh, go ahead, Don. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, that seems really... Um, that sounds like where I was coming from, too. That it, it had to have been, you know, the, they, they tacked on this ending just because they realized that the other the ending with, you know, her being just a klutz and falling down because she's a dumbass is pretty much not really a <laughs> good... Not really all that horrifying. Yep. And like I said, if the, if it... If it wasn't for that extra little reveal, it basically just makes Marisol one of the pettiest ghosts ever. It's like, I died by accident, so I'm going to kill everybody in this town because of it. That's fucked up. I mean, like I said, for whatever it's worth. We could have done it where they were saying, okay, well, I'm going to haunt the town because they never came to look for my body. Yes, thank you. Yep, that I would be okay with. I would accept that. That would have... That would have genuinely made the film a little bit more, would have knocked it up a little bit just to, you know, finally have like a definitive ending and a definitive conclusion where I'm, you know, you find the doll, but you can't find my body. Wow, what a loser you are. I'm going to haunt you. Like, that would have been, like, yeah, I mean, you know, taking it a little bit more seriously than that, but essentially doing that route where you find the doll, you can't bother to find me. Well, I'm going to take you into the, you know, other realm and, you know, have, have my way with you. Like, that would have yep. made more sense than what they were going with here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or even maybe do something with the parents where, not necessarily make the parents bad where they were um, the catalyst for Marisol's death, but do something like the town shuns the parents after, because don't forget, we get that throwaway line in the movie that everybody thought the dad killed Marisol or kid, you know, kidnapped her, buried her somewhere, whatever the case may be. It's like, it would have been great to see like the town just completely shun that couple, uh, maybe even do something violent against them and then have Marisol come back as like a revenge plot. Like I died by accident, but this entire town thinks my parents had something to do with it. So now I'm going to take all you fuckers out. Like even that would be more satisfying than what we got. But again, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. What are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, that's gonna wrap up our discussion on the Communion Girl and this episode of Fresh Cuts. But let's find out where else we can be heard. So, Venom, what do you got? Uh, nothing new to listen to, but we do have plans finally for some new episodes. Um, episode eighteen of, or no, I think we're up to episode nineteen now of um, No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. We'll actually get recorded this coming week, uh, only a few days away from uh, us recording this, and I can announce that we will be looking at the Ray Harryhausen classic, 20 Million Miles to Earth. Um, and this is going to be our second venture into a Harryhausen movie on the Creature Comforts podcast, so this should be fun. Harryhausen's always awesome, um, especially if you're looking at his <laughs> classic stuff. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a fun one to look at. Uh, there's films other than classics that he made? <laughs> well, 
some people look at Clash of the Titans kind of negatively. I don't. I absolutely do. Yeah, but I've, I've heard true. some people look at, like, some of his 80s stuff and kind of poo-poo it a little bit, which I don't agree mm. with, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. Opinions true. and assholes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that'll be episode 19 of Creature Comforts. We'll get recorded later this week. Hopefully it'll be out sometime next week. Um what else we got? The main show, uh, No More Room in Hell. We just recorded our latest episode, episode 55, this uh, past weekend, where we looked at, uh, what did we look at? 1974's Torso and 1979's The Great Alligator, both coming from Italian director Sergio Martino. So that was a fun episode. That one's not quite out yet. I'm sure it'll be out maybe later this week or early next week. And then uh, me and Mike just have to get off our ass and record episode four of the Crystal Lake Gift Shop just so we can get another episode of that out. Um, and that's pretty much it for me. No guest spots to speak of. Just uh, trying to survive a hurricane and buying lots of Funko Pops. <laughs> that, that's my life right now. So there you go. All right. Let's go over to Don. What new do you got, Don? Yeah, uh, not a whole lot. Um the the uh there's only two main things to uh discuss one is um, an impromptu um an appearance on a show called horror flicks and guitar picks uh which was done by a friend of mine uh they were doing um a trivia contest and they needed an extra body to come in and do like this little trivia thing for um for the show and uh, we ended up and had a uh, just a small little impromptu, uh, you know, trivia thing. Just, you know, everybody goofing off, having fun. Um, I would have won the damn thing if it wasn't for Green Room, which pisses me off. Because that's the only one that I would, that's the only reason why I lost the damn thing. Um, for the reason why is that I haven't seen it. And that was one of the questions that determined wh- whether I would have won or not. And, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how that went. But, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, it should be available wherever you find your podcast because it's my first interaction with them. Um, so basically, yeah, um, they had gathered up a bunch of their friends, which included a mutual of mine. Uh, they needed an extra body and contacted me, so that's how I got on with them. And uh, the only other episode, um, as you know, Jenna mentioned, we are going to be recording Future Comfort soon, so look forward to that. But uh, the other one is uh, the episode I'm most proud of and uh, one of my favorite episodes to record of Horror Countdown so far, which is a look at top 10 horror films from India. So, yeah, I I really, really want people to listen to this one because it is, I would imagine, a probably going to be a primer for uh, most people who won't be familiar with uh, the industry over there. And I, you know, I had a person from India who actually works on many of the films uh, come on the show and uh, talk with me about it. So, yeah, we actually get um, not only, you know, I think there's with crossover at least like 10 to 15 films for you to uh, check out and look at. But uh, you also get a little bit of history about not just horror cinema, but cinema in general over in India. So, uh, you know, definitely look into that one. It's one of my favorite things just. Because it's something that, one, I'm a huge fan of because I love a lot of Indian cinema that I've seen. But it's also one that I really want others to discover because it's really, really lonely not having anybody know what I'm talking about. So, um, yeah, uh, definitely give that one a listen. Um, I I really want this one to do well. So, uh, yeah, if you ever check out anything of my show, make it this one. So, 
Uh, yeah, that's uh, basically uh, the majority of the stuff that I have. Uh, I was supposed to have recorded uh, with Joe Blow for uh, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, but um, apparently we're uh, stuck in the middle with this thing. So uh, we were supposed to have recorded last night, but uh, that got postponed because they were prepping for um, plans today. So we're going to get back together as soon as everything clears over and uh, hopefully record that sooner rather than later. But yeah, until then, uh, you know, the horror flicks and guitar picks and uh, the latest episode of Horror Countdown. So that's pretty much it on my end. For the latest episode of Horror Countdown, were you only including original Indian movies or are you also including the awesome American remakes that they've done? Uh, it's as long as it's a horror film that was made in India. Okay, so awesome. So we might see Mahakal on there or something. Oh, it's there. It's there. Ah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, yeah, as far as I go, Venom already mentioned it. No More Room in Hell 55 is recorded. So uh, if you're listening to this, it should be out within a couple days. Um, and then... The next episode of Fresh Cuts, are we going back to the theater this week? I think there is something, isn't there? I don't think it's it's independent, though. I don't know if it's going to be playing everywhere. Um, I know next week we've got um, – oh, no, next week's the holiday. I don't think – Labor Day weekend? Yeah, yeah that's, that's what oh, I'm wait, thinking. No, that's, like, yeah, uh, that's this upcoming – well – I, I guess. Oh right, it's Sunday. Week. I keep forgetting. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I forget what day it is. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So Labor Day weekend is next weekend. Uh, I don't believe anything's opening in theaters. I know September eighth, we've got two things opening, but I forgot what the hell they were. Maybe it's uh, one September eighth that it gets busy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I checked my AMC listings. We're going to be in the theater for almost the entirety of September and October. I think we get one week off, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. I'm trying to bring up my damn list, and it's taking forever here. Um, obviously, the internet's affected here with all the storms and everything. So, luckily, <laughs> luckily, uh, I didn't drop out of the episode though, so that's good. Yeah, I didn't notice anything. Good, good, good. Uh, let's see. Yeah, oh no, Saw September 29th, The Haunting in Venice September 15th. Uh, that's the Exorcist. Oh, The Nun. That's it. The Nun 2 is September 8th. I think that's the next time we go to the theater. Because then, uh, yeah, uh, It Lives in, It lives Inside is uh, September 22nd. Um, we, we've got, yeah, Fre- uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, uh, September and October is pretty goddamn full. So we'll be in the theater a lot. I'm getting a one night on uh, September 14th. I think I'm getting like a one night event for a movie called Satanic Hispanics. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. Well, of course. We've been talking about it for over a year. That uh, Gigi, Gigi Saul Guerrero has a short in that movie. She's She's wow. been championing, championing that movie for a good two years now. She's been talking about it on her social media. So, yeah, I'm very highly looking forward to that. Yeah, man, I wish it was getting more than one night, but I'll try to go, cause if, especially if nothing else is opening that week. Yeah. I would imagine if if it is only getting one night, it'll be on VOD a week or two later. So it's not like we'll have to wait too long. Yeah, most likely. But anyways, uh, so we might be picking from VOD again, but uh, we'll figure out all that in the next handful of days. But until then, 
thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Fresh Cuts. We will be back in a week with another episode. Let's say bye to our listeners. Later. If you see a little girl in the middle of the road, just keep driving. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Yeah. Uh, if your kid wants a doll that bad, just get, get him a new one. Get her a damn Barbie. They're like five bucks now. They're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and I heard they're coming back in a big way for some reason. I don't know what it is, but. <laughs> <laughs> she makes an appearance in Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs>